Uh, we're in a series called Heartwork, the idea that we grow, we are transformed by a transformation in the heart. And that's what God is after, and that's how God changes us. By the Holy Spirit getting in this heart of ours and healing us and binding up the broken places and pouring love into our hearts until it overflows. And today we come to the book of Romans, chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first ten verses here. I'm going to invite the congregation to stand for the reading of Scripture this morning. And in the Bibles in your, uh, the pews in front of you, they look like this. I am on page 906, Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God demonstrates his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I didn't think this would happen, boy. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. May God bless the reading of his word and would you pray with me. God, we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit that as the text uh, says, fills our hearts with your love. And we're thankful for your son Jesus who while we were sinners, uh, enemies, uh, maybe wanting nothing to do with you, he came and he gave himself that we would be your friends.
Never let us forget these things, O oh God. I lift these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> Last week, oh, I forgot. I forgot. And then there's this from Romans 15. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. That was kind of an important part, and I... <laughs> Last week, I preached a sermon titled, Our Emotional God. And in that sermon, I argued that human emotion has a, a very important role to play in spiritual formation. Today's message will focus on God's acceptance of us and the critical role that coming to grips and to terms with this acceptance that we have received from God plays in our spiritual formation, even our ability to accept and love other people. Now, a word on what I have titled today's sermon. I have decided to title today's sermon, The Reckless Acceptance of Christ. Reckless Acceptance. And I chose the word reckless, not because there's any lack of wisdom in the acceptance that is offered by God to people in Jesus, though we know that the wisdom of God is foolishness to humanity. No, I chose the word reckless because where there is a community of Jesus followers that offers acceptance to others as they have been offered acceptance from Christ, there also will be many people who deem such a community as reckless. I believe this to be true, not only because I've seen it, but also because Jesus was deemed reckless by many people in his day when he offered acceptance to the sinners and the losers and the vagabonds and the ragamuffins where he lived. Furthermore, I chose the word reckless because when a church that has been redeemed by God, living out the abundant love poured into her heart by God's Spirit, when that kind of church offers acceptance to people as they have been accepted by Christ, well, lots of cans of worms are going to be opened. Worms all over the place. But guess what? When a can of worms is opened, the fish start to bite. I love that you found that funny. It's great. So what sort of acceptance is Christ offering, and why is it so crucial to our hearts that we receive it? And to help us get there, I, I chose to look at a story that we uh, have in the Bible, in Luke chapter 7, about this woman who came and washed Jesus' feet. So there's this Pharisee, and he asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus 
went to the Pharisee's home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, Jim, don't put the verse up just yet. I'll tell you when. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were truly a prophet, well, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, so this Pharisee's name is Simon. I have something to say to you. So he tells the story about these two people who owe all kinds of money. One owns, owes like 50 bucks and the other owns like 5,000 bucks. You know, a lot of money. And they're both forgiven their debts. Who will be more appreciative and loving towards the one who forgave their debts? And Simon says, well, the one who had more debt. Exactly, Jesus says. That's right. And then he turned to the woman, saying to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's been washing them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, though there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So this story is about a boundary that's crossed by this woman. There's a social boundary that she crosses. And the problem that the Pharisee has with it is about Jesus' credentials, right? You can put that verse up here, uh, Jim. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of the woman this is, and he would not be okay, the assumption is, he would not be okay with what's happening here right now, that she's performing this action. Because of who she is, there's a boundary being crossed here. He should know better than to allow this to happen. You could just leave this up for a while, Jim. And Jesus' response, I think, is incredible. Because Jesus doesn't say, oh my goodness, what am I doing? What, what am I letting her do? Uh, ma'am, Pardon me, I, I appreciate the gesture, but uh, we know that there's a boundary. We all know what boundary this is. It's being crossed, and you're going to have to stop. He doesn't do that. Instead, he moves the conversation from this boundary, which Jesus doesn't seem to think is appropriate, an appropriate boundary, nor is it beneficial. He moves the conversation from this purity issue to the issue of hospitality. 
He moves it. And here's the kicker. When he does this, Jesus is not saying to Simon, Simon, I'm going to teach you what true hospitality looks like. Jesus says, Simon, this woman is teaching you what true hospitality looks like. I came into your home and hear all the things you didn't do for me as the host, and yet this woman has not only done the things you didn't do, but she's gone even further. And this boundary that you think is so important would absolutely prevent her from being hospitable in this way. And do you know why she's able to do this, Simon? Because she has been accepted and forgiven by God. And so she is opened up to accept and receive Messiah, right? God's acceptance and forgiveness of her is the basis for her ability to love Jesus. That's the way the argument goes. And go back to uh, what this says, right? If, if he knew what sort of woman this is, I mean, she's a sinner. Simon's thoughts here are so common to our human experience. The idea that if it was known what kind of person I am, if they knew who I was, if it was discovered that I fill in the blank. Well, suddenly all the boundaries and the rules, they'll get pointed out and I might lose access. I'm going to lose my sense of belonging. Simon's thoughts are alive and they are well today. And it makes me wonder what boundaries are we honoring today that are just wrong? Thanks, Jim. I so appreciate um, David Olson. Where did you go? He was here. He was here. I shook his hand. I said, welcome to church. Uh, David preached a few weeks ago, and he referenced the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, where they're hiding from God. I so appreciated what David said. And I find that story just fascinating. I've, I've turned that story in my head so many times, and I have so many puzzles that I wish would just get kind of put together by God. For example, when Adam and Eve hid in the trees, were those trees in the garden or were they outside of the garden? I mean, we're told that God was walking in the garden and the noise he was making prompted Adam and Eve to hide, right? Adam or God is walking in there. But where did they go hide? Are they running away from the garden? I, I just find that interesting. I have many questions like this in this story. One of the fascinating things that happens in the story is when Adam responds to God's question, right? So God, Adam and Eve eat this apple, or um, sorry, eat fruit. It doesn't say it was an apple. Eat the fruit, and suddenly they have this knowledge that they're naked, right? And they, that's what the text tells us. And so then they hear the noise of God in the garden, and they, well, they had made fig coverings, fig leaf coverings, and they go and they hide them in the trees. And God's in the garden, and God says to Adam, where are you? And this is what Adam says in response. I heard the sound of you. Maybe it was his voice, maybe it was a Rustling around. But I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I would have expected Adam to say something more like, I, I was afraid because I disobeyed you. Or, I was afraid because, well, I don't know, you're not a holy God and I'm an unholy human and, and in your presence with sin, I just, I don't know, I burn up in, into a million little ashes or something like that. Or, I was afraid because, I mean, I was afraid because I was naked, he says. Well, you were naked before. This is not news to God. God is not like, you are? You were? What? <laughs> I just find that interesting. And I know that the nakedness is closely connected to the disobedience. Yet, why that? Maybe what's going on here is vulnerability. Uh, that there's something I have discovered about myself that I don't like, that makes me scared. I mean, what if others find this out about me too? It can be scary, the thought of being found out, the possibility that we might be fully seen and therefore rejected, better to maybe make some uh, mm, fig leaf clothes? I don't know. Thanks, Jim. When I attended grad school, I want to honor those of us who get nervous about time. When I attended grad school at UW-Madison, there was this common refrain for so many students, friends of mine. They were so afraid of being found a fraud. I mean, these were the smartest, hardest-working people I've ever known in academia. And yet, there's this constant fear among some of my friends of being found wanting, not smart enough, not sharp enough, not the best enough. Uh, over the years, I've listened as teenagers share with me a fear that their friends are going to learn things about them and then, and then be rejected by them, or a fear that mom and dad will learn this thing about me and then not love me. There's this human propensity to believe that if I am found out, if I am known, if I am seen, what will happen? They might push me out. Uh, they might not love me. I know. Better to hide and to take these parts of me and put them in the trees. We are all Adam and we are all Eve. Do you know that scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20? Even if our hearts condemn us, God is stronger than our hearts. And guess what? God knows us better than we know ourselves. There's nothing in here that surprises God. Not a thing. I was afraid because I was naked. I know that, God says. I know everything about you. Everything. Everything. 
When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. And now, most people, you know, the whole, he kind of goes on this trail. Eh, it wouldn't die for a good person most of the time. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were his enemies. I mean, that is such good news. God doesn't wait for us to figure it all out, get our hearts straight. God meets us where we are. No, God runs to where we are. Uh, there's a great quote I came across this week. I've shared it with a few of you by A.W. Tozer. You may or may not know that name. Uh, he uses big words. How unutterably sweet. I mean, I can't even put words to it is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No tail-bearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. Since He knew us utterly before we knew Him and called us to Himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. God ain't running away. That's, I just, that quote hit me. In Christ, there is acceptance for all of us. If you've never received that acceptance, you can do that today. You can do that right now. God, in my heart of hearts, I give you my life in Christ who died for me. Now, there's a lot there. It can take years to figure out the mysteries of the uh, substitutionary atonement of the Son of God. Thank God we don't have to have it all figured out. I don't think that woman had it all figured out. One final story and then I'll be done. There's this little boy, nine years old, little league team. And his little league team makes it to the city championship. And, you know, paint the perfect scene here. He, it's bottom of the seventh, which in Little League is the last inning. His team's down by a run. The bases are loaded, and now he's up to bat. And that's when it dawns on him that his whole family's there. I mean, aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and mom and dad and siblings, they're all there. And, and, and all these people from the other team are there too. And all these people, all of his buddies' friends are there. It's a packed stadium. You know, Casey at the plate kind of thing. Pitch, swing, strike one, and all the cacophony of half the people, yay, half the people, oh. Second pitch, strike two. Third pitch, strike three. Game is over. Right? I forgot to mention there were two outs. Okay. <laughs> now there are three outs. <clears throat> Game's over. The other team wins. And the boy... Uh, takes the helmet and just as, as 
the friends and parents of the other team run onto the field and they celebrate. And as, as the gathering dissipates, the boy just doesn't have the heart or the stomach to look up. He's still standing there. And he hears his voice right behind him where the catcher would stand. It's the voice of his dad. His dad says, Play ball! He's a little startled. He looks up. And in the field, there's his family. His aunt's at first base, and his grandma's in, stuck her in right field. And Right? And his dad says, Grandpa's going to pitch, so look out. So his grandpa. And it took nine pitches, but he got a hit. And he hits it out there. And then what follows is a series of errors by the field. As the boy runs the first and second and third and dropping the ball and overthrowing the ball and and he runs home. His dad says, you did it, kid. And somewhere in the stands, someone looked to a friend and said, this kid just experienced a conspiracy of grace. My boy Jack, he's four. He wants to race me all the time. Dad, let's race. Go! Go! Every now and again, I cross the finish line before he does. And every time I do, he says, Losers, winners. <laughs> I can't win. I want you to know that in God's kingdom, losers, winners. So jump in. The invitation's there. Let's pray. God, you have accepted us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. You just did. And if anyone here right now is kind of wondering what it would be like to receive that acceptance and that love, I ask that your Holy Spirit right now would speak to them and draw them unto yourself. In Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that for those of us whose hearts might be condemning us, may we know you are greater than our hearts and you know us completely. I pray these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.